All right, brothers and sisters, let's take out our Bibles together. And if you will, go with me today to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10. Here in just a second, we'll start in verse 34. So I'm taking a two-week break from Ephesians. We've been going verse by verse through the book of Ephesians. And the next text in Ephesians is Ephesians 6, 1 through 4, which talks about children, obey your parents in the Lord. And so I'm going to save that one for the 31st, when all our kids are going to be here in the worship service with us. That's a family Sunday. And I, I didn't want to go over that without the kids being in here. And so I thought it would be a good time for us to take just a two-week break. I'm going to do a couple of topical sermons uh, this week and next. And then that will lead us up to Ephesians 6 on July 31st. And so our text today is Matthew 10, 34 through 39. I want to read that with you. These are the words of Jesus, our Lord. He says, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. I wonder how many of us in here today know exactly what this feels like. We know exactly what Jesus is talking about. How many of us have a family member whom we love, but the relationship is now strained because... They know that we hold to what the Bible teaches, especially on sexuality and gender. Now, the the text today is not about sexuality and gender per se. But in 2022, in America, those seem to be the, the hinge issues, if you will. Especially when it comes to families who are divided Because of the Bible. Because we believe in the Bible. I want to take you through our passage today and show you how Jesus is teaching this and what exactly he's saying here. Because it can often be misunderstood, especially when we come to verse 34. Look at verse 34 with me, just that first verse, where he says, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. I would not be surprised if there are many who read that verse and think that Jesus is promoting warfare. He's promoting us to to take up arms and to go to war. But that's not what he's saying here. That's not what he means. What Jesus is saying is that he came to draw a dividing line. Jesus came to draw a line in the sand. Jesus did not come to make everyone happy with one another. Jesus did not come so that we could have coexist bumper stickers. He did not come saying all religions are just different paths to the same destination. He came 
to reveal the Father to us, and then to give us, to provide the only way that anyone can be forgiven of their sins and reconciled to God. That's what Jesus came to do. To reveal the Father to us and to provide the only way that we could get to him. That we could get back to him and have the forgiveness of our sins and reconciliation with God. Jesus came to the earth, drew a line in the sand, and said to everyone, which side are you on? Which side are you on? Now, you might be saying, John, I I don't know. This doesn't sound like the Jesus I've always heard about. I mean, didn't Jesus eat and fellowship with tax collectors and sinners? Not the religious crowd of the day. Isn't Jesus all about love and acceptance? Would Jesus really ever tell someone that they were on the wrong side of some line? Well, let me just take you through a little bit of a a tour through Matthew on Jesus' words here. Kind of keep your finger in Matthew 10 because we're definitely coming back to it. But let me have you look with me at just a few other places. And we'll, we'll, we'll just stick with Matthew for the sake of brevity. Matthew 11 verse 6, look at that. Where Jesus says, blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Matthew eleven six. 6. Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Or turn over to Matthew 12 verse 30. Matthew 12 verse 30. Where Jesus says, whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Matthew 13, starting in verse 24, there we see the parable of the weeds. Parable of a farmer who plants wheat in his field, but weeds grow up with it. Weeds have been sown by an enemy. And look at what Jesus says in Matthew 13, 30. Let both grow together until the harvest, and at harvest time I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. Just over the page, at least in my Bible, Matthew thirteen forty nine. This is a different parable, a parable of the net and catching of fish. So it will be at the end of the age, the angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous. We could perhaps go on to the later chapters of Matthew where he tears the, tells the, the, the parable of the, the sheep and the goats. And we could go on and on in other gospels. I just wanted to give you a small section of what I'm talking about. Jesus came to draw a dividing line. He draws a line in the sand and says, which side are you on? One is right. The other is eternally wrong. Jesus' claims are absolutely audacious when you consider them. Some of the ones we just read, consider two more. Listen to John 14, verse 6. We'll have it up on the screens here. John 14, verse 6, Jesus says, I am the way, and by that he means the way to the Father. I am the way and the truth and the life. And then he says, no one comes to the Father except through me. This is audacious. He is saying, there is no way to God outside of me. This is the exact opposite of the idea that all religions are just different paths to the same destination. No, Jesus says, you can't get to God if you don't come through me. If this were any other man, that would be arrogant beyond belief. 
And yet Jesus says so, even with humility and meekness. Listen to what he says in John 3, verse 18, two verses beyond that famous verse, John 3, 16. John 3, 18, he says, whoever believes in him, he's speaking of himself in the third person, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. So I hope it's starting to be clear to us. When Jesus came, he drew a dividing line. He is not unclear about this. There are only two categories of people in the world when everything is boiled down to it. When it comes to the end, there are only two categories of people. Those who are saved by the blood of Christ and those who are not. All other categories in the end will melt away. It doesn't matter at the judgment day if you're a man or a woman. It doesn't matter at the judgment day if you are rich or poor. It doesn't matter at the judgment day if you are American or Chinese or African or fill in the blank. It doesn't matter at the judgment day if you lived in 2022 or 22. It doesn't matter because at the judgment day there will only be two categories of people. Those who are saved by the blood of Christ and those who are not. Or you might say those who have given their allegiance to Christ and to God himself, and then those who stand as enemies of the creator and ruler of the universe. Jesus said, whoever is not with me is against me. And so Jesus comes to draw a dividing line, but then in verses 35 and 36, he applies it to a very specific area of our lives even to our deepest relationships, our most cherished relationships. Look at verse 35 with me again. He says, I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Jesus knew this affects every part of our lives and every relationship that we have. Following Jesus is something that goes down to the very core of who you are. It goes down to the very core of who you are. Following Jesus is not just an add-on to your life. It's not just something that is part of the life of a good, respectful, upstanding citizen. Following Jesus is not just coming to church on Sundays and saying a prayer before your meals and then being conservative politically. There is a way to say, I am a Christian, and to not be following Jesus at all. There is a cultural Christianity, especially in places like Columbia, Kentucky, Bible Belt, America. There is a cultural Christianity that is little more than fake Christianity. And on the surface, it seems like they're they're, they're a good, God-fearing person. But Jesus knew Real Christianity, real following him, goes down to the very core of who you are and affects every relationship that you have. It has to. It's that central. It's that deep. It's the middle of everything. Jesus knew this is going to separate families. Think with me of a few examples. Perhaps a first century Jewish person who all of a sudden starts hearing the apostles preaching the gospel of Jesus and then finds that, yes, this seems like the Messiah. This seems like the one 
who, who everything my parents taught me and my grandparents taught me and everything, the scriptures that we've read before, this is the one whom, whom it's pointed to for generations, for thousands of years, and they become a Christian. First century Jew becomes a Christian. And what happens in their family life? Well, that Jewish family who is so rooted in the old covenant, in the old covenant laws of ceremony and ritual and festivals, that Jewish family often shunned that person who became a Christian and started following Jesus. The entire book of Hebrews is written to people who were Jews and became Christians, and it's written to those people saying, don't give it up. Don't give up the one to whom all the Old Testament was pointing and go back to Judaism. Judaism has served its purpose, and now the Messiah is here. Don't give it up. That's the entire book of Hebrews. So that's maybe an older example. Think of a modern-day example. Let's think of a young woman from Iran who comes over to the States to study to be a doctor. Her family for generations has been Muslim. When she's over here at the States at a college here in America, she begins to attend a campus ministry with one of her roommates, hears the gospel, finds her heart being warmed to Jesus Christ and to the message of forgiveness and reconciliation to God. And she converts, she becomes a Christian. What usually happens to a young woman like that? I'll tell you what usually happens. She gets a phone call from her parents. And they say, this is the last phone call that you're ever going to get. You will have no more money from us. You are no longer our daughter. You are not welcome to come visit. And we will not come visit you. That's what happens. I've seen it happen. Jesus realized that this is going to separate families, but, but, we hear those two examples and we say, yeah, this must be hard for some people. This is no longer something that is far removed from us. Not anymore. How many of us, when we hear these words of Jesus in our text today, know exactly what he means? Because our son or daughter has distanced themselves from the family. Because our brother or sister has distanced themselves from the family. Why? Because we believe the Bible. And anyone who believes in what that book says must be hateful, must be bigoted, must be closed-minded, must be prejudiced. In the last decade, the LGBT movement in America has progressed at warp speed. It was progressing before that, but in the last decade, it's warp speed. It used to be in America that most people who didn't call themselves Christians still had a pretty good opinion of those who were. Christianity had some respect in the public square. If you were a Christian, you got some social points for that. It used to be. People who weren't Christians would say, oh, those Christians, they're they're nice people. I don't think I could ever give up the the sinful ways that I, I want to hold on to. But boy, I respect those who do. That's the way it used to be. But for many today, Christianity is not just an option that they don't prefer. It is considered dangerous. For many people today, Christianity is considered dangerous. It is a religion of exclusion. It is a religion, they will say, where certain people are not welcome. 
It is a religion that attacks minorities. This is not what it teaches. This is what is being said of Christianity. This is what many people firmly believe about Christianity. In a culture where homosexuality is seen not just as a behavior, but an identity. An identity. Understand this. This is so important for what we're going to talk about today. It's so important for understanding the country that we live in. Homosexuality, gender transitions, these are not seen as behavior any longer. They're seen as an identity. And in a culture like that, Christianity is seen as a religion of persecution. Christianity is a religion that says a person's very identity is wrong. The same goes for someone who identifies as transgender, as someone who identifies as gay. A refusal to affirm my identity is an attack on me, on my identity. That is the culture we live in today. And yet, we know, we know what following Christ requires. We read our Bibles and we know we can't get away from what following Christ requires. If we want to follow Christ, it means we're going to have to be devoted to God's teaching in his word. Following Christ means we have to let God define what is right and what is wrong. Following Christ means we have to stand firm on the truth of God's word and we can't waver from it. Even as we reach out to those who do not believe, we can't waver from the truth. And following Christ means we believe that the only happiness that person can truly have is in God. There's no happiness apart from God. We believe what St. Augustine said so many centuries ago when he wrote, You have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. We believe that. We believe there's, there's no happiness apart from God because he made us. He made us for himself. He made our hearts for himself. There's nothing else that can fill that void. And so, therefore, families are divided. Those of us who are committed to Christ, we cannot compromise our convictions. It's God's word. It's his commands. And yet, some of our family members believe that we are a part of a religion that promotes hatred and prejudice. We can no longer hide from this. We can no longer hide from this in Bible Belt America, in conservative Columbia, Kentucky. It's a question that comes for us all. These words of Jesus, they are starting to ring true for us, even here. And so the question is, what do we do? What can we do? Well, Jesus asks a very hard question in the latter portions of our text today. The question is, who do you love most? Who do you love most? Look at verse 37. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. What makes this so hard is that we deeply and truly love our family members. We deeply and truly love them. You only get one family. You only get one family. That's that's my son, that's my daughter, that's my dad, that's my mom, that's my brother, my sister. You only get one family. We care about them deeply. We're never going to stop caring about our family. We want to have good relationships with our family members. Even more than that, 
we desperately do not want to see them walk away from the Lord and to walk away from salvation. Those family members that we sincerely love, we don't want to see them in hell. That's what makes this so hard. We're never going to stop caring about them. But that's not the way that many people see it. It's so hard for us because we love them, but that's not the way that many people see it, and sometimes that's not the way that they see it. Rick Warren once insightfully said, Our culture has accepted two huge lies. The first is that if you disagree with someone's lifestyle, you must fear or hate them. And the second is that to love someone is to agree with everything they believe or do. Both are nonsense. The world is telling us you you cannot love someone and yet disagree with their lifestyle at the same time. We, We know that's ridiculous, but this is the world we live in. But the other big lie, the other big lie the world has swallowed in these recent days is this. My sexuality is my identity. My sexuality is my identity. That right there is why our culture teaches that to love someone, you must affirm their behavior because it's not just behavior. It's identity to them. It's their identity. But the beauty of the gospel of Christ is that you are not defined by your sin. The gospel of Christ tells us we are not defined by our sin. You are not defined by your behavior. You are not defined by your desires or your feelings. I can give you example after example of men who experience same-sex attraction and have, for as far as they can remember, they are attracted to other men. They don't want to be, they just are. And yet they are waking up every day denying those desires so that they can walk with Christ and with God. Your identity is not your sexuality. Your identity is not your desires. You are not defined by your sin. When you come to God through Jesus, your sins are forgiven. And you are called to a new life. You don't have to be defined by your sin, whatever it is. Sexuality or otherwise. You don't have to be defined by your sin, whatever it is. That does not define you If you come to Christ, if you come to Christ, you are defined by something new, something else. You are defined by being a child of God. You are defined by being covered and cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. You are defined by the Father setting his love upon you and giving his spirit to live inside of you. It is devastating when we take sinful behaviors or habits... And then we begin to accept them and say, I guess this is just who I am. There's no changing it. It is devastating to us when we do that. I guess that's just who I am. Listen to Paul's words from 1 Corinthians 6, starting in verse 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And watch what it says next. And such 
were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. You were those things. And when you come to Christ, you are no longer those things anymore. That's not who you are. When a person says, I am gay, it's a statement of identity. But when Christ says, you are mine, he gives you a new identity. And your behaviors and even your desires no longer define you. That is not your identity. Your identity can be a child of God, a forgiven follower of Jesus Christ. The hardest part about all of this is that Jesus says explicitly in our text, who do you love most? That's the hardest part about all of this. Anyone who loves father or mother more than Jesus is not worthy of him. Anyone who loves son or daughter more than Jesus is not worthy of him. Wife or spouse, not worthy of him. Do we love our family more than we love Jesus? That that makes this really hard. I've seen it time and time again. A good Christian couple who is active in their church has a son or a daughter, comes into their teenage years, especially their latter teenage years, and all of a sudden comes out as gay. And then a year or two later, maybe three, mom and dad leave the church. Not because they were run out. Not because they were mistreated. But because they want to accept and affirm their son or daughter. And so they go find a church, a church, that affirms LGBT lifestyles. Or they give up the faith altogether. They choose their son or their daughter over Christ because they know, they know, they know what the Bible says. They know what it means to follow Jesus. They know what it means to walk with God. And so that we've either got to find some loophole or we've got to get out altogether. They choose their son or their daughter over Christ. It happens time and time again. This is one of the hardest teachings in the whole Bible. Do you love Jesus more than your kids? Do you love Jesus more than your parents? Do you love Jesus more than your siblings? Do you love Jesus more than your very family? Because Jesus says, if we don't, we are not worthy of him. Listen to Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 12, starting in verse 46. It says, while he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, who is my mother? And who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Friends, there is a family relationship that is deeper than blood. There is a family relationship that will last longer than blood. Psalm 68, verse 6 says, God sets the lonely in families. There's a reason we call this our church family. God sets the lonely in families. God gives a family to those 
who have none. God gives a family to those who have been shunned by their families. He sets the lonely in families, the family of God. But the ultimate question, the ultimate question comes from verses 38 and 39, where Jesus says, And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What's Jesus saying there? He's saying, do you love me more than you love yourself? That goes even deeper. Do you love me even more than you love yourself? If you don't take up your cross and follow me, what is a cross? It's an instrument of execution used to kill people. If you don't wake up and die to yourself daily and follow Jesus, you can't be worthy of him. When he says in verse 39, whoever finds his life will lose it, what he means is whoever keeps it. If you keep back your life for yourself, in eternity you will lose it. You will not have life for eternity. But ironically and beautifully, if you give up your life here and now, you will receive the only life that is true life. Or maybe we can put it this way. If you give up your identity to Christ, you will receive the only identity that will ever be worth having. If you give it up, give yourself away to Christ, let him have it all, whatever that means, even if it means it's going to get uncomfortable, Jesus, come in and do whatever you want. Clean house, grit your teeth and say, whatever that means. It's even scary to say. But if you can get to that point, if you can give your life to Jesus, you will receive eternal life in heaven with him forever. Whoever loses his life for the sake of Christ will ultimately find it and have it. That's where I want us to end today. Here in just a moment, we're going to spend a few moments in silent prayer. This time of silent prayer is for you to respond to the Lord. A time of response. Every single one of us needs to respond to God's word that he has just laid upon our hearts. And so we ask that you spend this time in silent prayer, speaking back to God as he has just spoken to you and to your heart. After we have a few moments of silent prayer, we're responding individually, privately. We'll have a time where we'll come back, we'll have an invitation so that those who need to respond to God's word publicly can do so. Right now, let's pray for a few moments.